Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Sustainable 168. Welcome yourself, old to Sustainable 168. My wonderful, wonderful hair. H-A-R-E. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, and uh, what a delicious tortoise you are. Well, if Sustainable has taught us anything, yeah. it's that we are your friendly little environment podcast, didn't we? Yes. All about people and the planet and who owns it and why, despite everything being noised and all this, this information being a bit horrible when you get hold of it, we can still have a chuckle about it every now and then. Yes, absolutely. And whom or what are we going to be fisking with our babble fisk? This week. Sorry, can you just say that one more time? No, I got away with it first time and I'm not saying it second. Golly gosh. <laughs> uh, moving on, this week we're going to talk to someone who has written a book. We often talk to people who have written a book. Okay, I guess the reason I'm so astonished is that someone who's like our age and like one of our mates yes. and isn't just bumming around doing a podcast but is writing books not only writing books but writing books that like major national newspapers put on their front page we're going to talk to guy shrubsoul now he is an activist uh, a campaigner an author and he's written his book called who owns england and it's all about land it's all about this thing which is underneath us which is so political but so ignored and so unequal and so fundamental to how we're going to get ourselves out of all of these holes what we're in not literally because holes in the ground are very difficult to get out of <laughs> yes I, I think I mean I couldn't have scripted that any better no indeed no Guy's basic point is you can't save nature and stuff if you don't own it and you can't put wind turbines everywhere if it's all owned by sinister people what don't pay their taxes or are the queen yeah. Um, anyway, very interesting thing. Uh, yeah, we know guys, our mates. We have a bit of a laugh. Do you know about um, the Prince Charles tampon story? No. I found out about this today. It was when we were young. In, the, in 1993, a newspaper in the UK got hold of a conversation, got hold of, presumably hacked, a phone conversation between Prince Charles and Camilla, who was then not his wife, and Princess Diana very much was his wife. Hearing me. And Prince Charles said, I might as well just come and live in your trousers. And Camilla said, what, are you going to turn into a pair of knickers or something? And he said, I'll end up being one of those Tampax that like goes round, gets flushed down the toilet and goes round and round but never disappears. It'll be just my luck. <coughs> Isn't that the grossest thing you've ever heard? <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? Land. Well, Land. there you go, Prince Charles. He, you know, he yes. landed Very Camilla yes. eventually. Uh, <laughs> Shut up. Oh, so anyway, this is our chat with Guy. We recorded it about a month ago, but uh, his book, Who Owns England, is just about to come out in paperback. Uh, mm. I've read it in hardback. Oh, hasn't read it at all. I have. I read the first couple of pages when I got back drunk from the launch of his book uh, and thought, I'm going to read this all tonight. Fell asleep and haven't. Right. So, OK, all hasn't read it at all. I have. I've read the first two pages. Technically, you have read it at all. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, it's a brilliant book. It genuinely is interesting. Got a big endorsement by Robert McFarlane on the front. He is the darling of the left and the scourge of the right. And he's got good bants. So this is our chat with Guy. 
just before any of that, oh, just the usual disclaimer, we do work for environmental charities, don't we? Yes. But these are very much our own views and Guy's own views. So, if anything that we say makes you want to trespass all over our face, uh, don't... <laughs> <laughs> don't petition our bosses, but take it up with me and I'll directly and we shall close the gate on you and tell you to go away, yes? Yes, uh, or at least just send you a rambling email in response. Oh, very nice. I'll, I'm with it. This land is your land and this land is my land. Hello, Guy! Hello! Hello, Guy! Hello, Dave. Hello, Guy. I'm good. Hello, Guy. Good. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Right. Thank you very, very much for coming to talk to us. You are, uh, full disclosure, you are our mate. We know you. um, Indeed. But you are more important, even more importantly than that, you are the author of a book which is quite unusual in that it was already the subject of front-page news before it was out, which I think makes you quite important. So uh, tell us a little bit about that book. In fact, before you do that, tell us a little bit about you. Who are you? What's your story? Where did you come from? And how did you come to be writing uh, this book? Well, uh, I, I guess I'm an environmental campaigner, um, first and foremost. And I, uh, I work for an environmental NGO, Friends of the Earth. Um, I grew up in a, a little town called Newbury, which was so good they had to put a bypass around it <laughs> and uh, famously uh, cited the Newbury bypass protests and Swampy and all that oh, stuff yeah. back in the 90s. 5,000 people already who have turned up and we can still see them coming down in their hundreds. We all know that it's not going to work. And the government's own traffic figures... Um, and I was 10 at the time that they put the bypass through uh, nine miles of beautiful countryside to the side of Newbury, through lots of lovely nature reserves and places I used to go for walks with my mum and dad. Really? So, so stuff that you walked around... Uh, Absolutely, no yeah. Exists. In fact, um, I think uh, it was Snellsmore Common um, was one of the sites that they put the bypass through, and it's where I picked up a pine cone... Uh, and saved the seeds from that pine cone, which we then grew into our family Christmas tree. Mm. So I saved one of the trees that they then went and chopped down. They chopped down about 10,000 trees to build this bloody bypass to save a few minutes off a car commute. Um, So I guess that was one thing that actually started getting me interested, probably not at that sort of tender age of 10, but looking back on that, on my childhood and thinking about, well, the land that that awful bypass cut through was all owned by people. It was owned by actually some very wealthy landowners who owned a huge amount of, of the countryside around, around the town I grew up in. And they ended up selling it out. They, they, you know, professed that they loved their estates and the countryside and wanted to look after it and steward it for the future. But they, um, they discovered that actually being paid money for putting a road through their land was, was more interesting and more profitable for them in the end. And that got me interested in, in who owns land and why do they own it and, and how do they look after it or, or not in the case of these guys. So the actual amount of land retaken is... Excuse me, sir. 17 square feet, sir. <laughs> A few years back, um, thinking about some of the issues a campaign on to do with things like how do we look after our landscapes better, how do we look after the environment, 
Um, how do we get people to do things like grow more trees or repair ecosystems that have been damaged by centuries of human activity? I started thinking, well, actually, to be able to engage with that, you really need to think about who actually owns the land. It's not just about how you use the land, it's about who actually owns it. Um, and then I started looking into this and suddenly thought, realized how difficult it was to actually find out who owns land in England. It's this insanely difficult thing to find out and a really big kind of a big mystery that seems to sit at the heart of um, English history and politics. And why does that matter? Like, why, <laughs> why does it matter who owns the stuff? I mean, like it's land. We walk on it, work yeah. on it, yeah. live on it, farm yeah. it, whatever. Yeah. It's just there. Does it matter? Well, I think you just encapsulated it really. It underpins and underlies everything really. Um, you know, we might think that land is just a field out there with maybe a cow on it. Um, but obviously, we're, this building is built upon land. Somebody owns that. Somebody, therefore, extracts rent from whoever rents it, um, you know, the organization that rents it, and um, makes a mint out of it. And then, you know, and that, that affects the economy. And land is obviously finite. It's, it's, you know, they're not making it anymore, as Mark Twain once said. And so that kind of makes it interesting when you think about it in terms of the economy, because, you know, we might think of most things as being, you know, reproducible. You can, you know, produce another spoon or another widget or whatever. Can't really build or create a load more land that easily. I mean, if anything else, if anything, it's shrinking because uh, because of sea levels rising. So England's it's getting... Like Europe coming over there, nicking on <laughs> cliffs. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you personally care so much about it? Like, what, why does it... Because you wrote a whole bloody book about it. Yeah. Um, why do you give so much of a shit? <laughs> why do you care so much? Because there are books, there are books that get written because no one else has written them uh, and then no one reads them. But this isn't one of those books. Like, people are reading this and saying it's great. But it, Some but people are, some right? Be- yeah. No, I have read some of it. I've read some of it. Anyway, at least, at least half of this uh, interview panel are. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you can't be too prepared. It's, it's, uh, answer Dave's question. What do you care? I think it's about power. I think, this is, I think that for a lot of my life, I've been caring about the environment, caring about how do we save it how do we save the planet how do we make things better but i think a lot of the time actually it's a a lot of environmentalism is sort of divorced from this sense of power it's like oh how do we you know stop people using plastic cups or you know drive a bit less but fundamentally it does come back to power and who owns stuff and who has all the wealth and who has control over things and uh, and I looked around and I thought, well, actually, people have not looked at who owns land in this country for, for quite a while. There have been other books about it. In fact, one book about it was written a thousand years ago. It was called The Doomsday Book. <laughs> but actually, since then, there hasn't been very much by way of any comprehensive study of who owns land. And I sort of thought, this this is weird. Why why is that? Is it that is it that actually part of this preserving of the wealth of the landowners is, 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 is comes about through covering up or, or kind of concealing who owns land. And I think it is. I think it is this, it's this big secret that we've had that we've not really contended with for a very long time. But how is it possible someone must know who owns all the land? Aha. Uh-huh. Because someone presumably... Queen. Emerge or something. Queen so, like, must how, know. This, I don't understand how it is possible 
I do understand. I've read the book. <laughs> I don't understand how oh, it's possible. Well, I, I haven't. So I, <laughs> how, is it possible, how is it possible? How is it possible not to just say, oh, "Excuse me, hello. I'd like to know who owns that uh-huh. land." Well, of course, the government. The government does know. So who someone owns does know quite a lot about right. who owns England and Wales, and they've got this thing called the Land Registry. So that's the government's official body, which was set up in 1862, and 160 years later, it still hasn't actually finished the job of registering all the land. No way. In Wales. So they had this they had this one job and they haven't actually done it yet. <laughs> to bleep that bit out, sorry. <laughs> haven't actually bloody done it yet. Um, why? But why that literally not? was their purpose. They were set up to They were reg- set up to register land. And and there, there are two reasons for registering land. One is so you can prove you've got title to it. So yeah. there's, there's a kind of reason why landowners would want to register land or ought to want to register land. But then there's a reason why they wouldn't want to register land. Like which is on. they want to keep it concealed because they want to keep you know, nosy parkers like me from and, and us from not knowing. Because I do think there is this thing that if you conceal, in the past, you conceal your power and wealth by putting up big walls, keeping out peasants, um, enclosure, taking, taking the commons off of commoners and putting walls around it and fences around it. And in the kind of digital era or the modern era, we've, we've, we've got these digital fences, we've got the paywall that um, the land registry hides behind. So you so can you, go to the land registry. So you can't you can't find this stuff out without paying for it. Well, that's, you can't that's just it. Go so, so although the so the land registry hasn't as isn't finished, it's about eighty three percent complete. So you know they've done a reasonable amount, but there's still a lot that hasn't been registered. But even for the stuff that is registered, yeah, you have to basically pay three three bob for every field to find out who owns every field, every house, every building, every land title. A lot of fields in this country. There are 24 million land titles registered with the land registry. Hang on a minute. Uh, minute. That's a really big number. 72 million pounds to buy the lot and to find out who owns England. Well, you must have more money than I think. (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, obviously, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not much left over. But um, (laughs) no, obviously, I didn't have that requisite 72 million pounds. So had to go about looking into this in different ways. That sounds a bit naughty. Mm. What makes it your land, anyway? It, uh, it belonged to my father. Who did he get it off? Been in my family for generations. Who did they get it off? Well, they probably bought it. <laughs> so, so how? How did you find out? Well, sometimes just had a little wander around the countryside, leapt over a few walls, knocked on some doors. Went through some bins. Went through, maybe not, maybe not bins exactly, but definitely leapt over some walls. But I mean, you can't do that for the entire country, not right? For, even, not for all 24 you. million <laughs> land titles, no. So what, you must have done some clever shit as so, well. So there was some other stuff that went on. So we've got, we've got this thing called freedom of information. We've got freedom of information laws where you can put in FOI requests to public bodies. Aren't they? Isn't that the law that Tony Blair famously described as like the, the most infantile his biggest mistake thing that he put through or something his like biggest that, yeah. mistake which i feel probably was forgetting about one or two things <laughs> i can't think of anything else that went badly for tony government. so i decided to put in a bunch of foi requests to local authorities to um even the crown estate is actually the, which owns a lot of crown land is subject to foi requests so i said to them can you give us a map of what you own and a lot of them did um ministry of defense pretty secret um fairly secretive body doesn't particularly like people knowing what it's doing behind its barbed wire fences but they ended up giving me a map of um the land they own and they own a no huge way. amount of land yeah that's incredible 
Yeah. So that started the, pick, the the ball rolling, but obviously that's only really the public sector or, or you know one or two other kind of bodies linked to the establishment, I guess. Um, and that's not actually in the end, in the grand scheme of things, that much land. Um, it turns out that the government, local authorities, NHS, even the Forestry Commission, the MOD, that all adds up to about eight and a half percent of England. Eight and a half. Yeah, that's it. Was um, the rest is the rest homage then? And the likes of well, what? how much does a Madge own? A Madge actually owns probably less than you might think. I've... How much do you think she owns? <laughs> Scotland. <laughs> quite a big, quite a big bit of Scotland. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Another book, though. Uh, <laughs> I think she what? So of the UK? Yeah. Mm, uh, I reckon it'd be about twenty percent. I'm afraid she's not. She's not quite that much. It's probably more like half a percent, actually. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, technically, so technically, actually, the answer to the question of who owns England is the crown, and that's it. So the que- the queen, or the institution, the institution the, the, the queen of the crown, yeah, owns all of it. Owns owns the lot. So what? what's everyone else doing when you have a freehold on a house? So you renting it off her match? Effectively, yes, you have this. You have this freehold that you you get from the crown, the British crown. But that could have probably been quite a boring short book, and I feel probably <laughs> people would have been felt quite shortchanged Who if they picked England? up the book. Oh, it's a match, <laughs> and that was it, and the rest yeah. of the pages were blank. Um, I mean, so basically, this goes back to um, this goes back a thousand years. This goes back to the Norman Conquest and back to William the Conqueror when he came over here and nicked our land, put an arrow in our land, put an arrow in our Harold's eyeball. Exactly, made made really gave Harold. a really bad day <laughs> and um and then basically said well all of this land's now mine um it's going to be vested in the crown and that was the first time that the king the crown had said that this was that was the case yeah. and he did it in order to be able to then hand it out to his mates again so he handed out a load to the bishops and the church and he handed out a bunch to the 200 norman barons who came over and conquered the place um and then that basically created this incredibly concentrated system of land ownership so the same is technically it's true today that the whole of whole of the country is owned by the crown but effectively when you when you own a freehold if you own a freehold in a house or a field or whatever then you basically can do whatever you want with it because the powers of the crown are so diminished nowadays that you're unlikely to have you know lizzie coming up to your door and saying oi i've got a few barons here who want that land back <laughs> give it back to me Excuse me, what the hell is one doing? Well, you haven't paid your poll checks, have you? No, oh, how tiresome! How much is it? So, hang on a minute. Right, let's. Eight and a half percent is public sector. Public yeah. sector. Yep, the government. The Queen and Associated Royals is. Another half percent. Probably only half percent, yeah. Well, that leaves 90%-ish. Who's that? Well, um, mostly in private hands. and But to break that down, um, got to start looking at things like, well, what do companies own? Uh, what do some charities own? So we've got some big charity, big landowning charities like the National Trust. Um, and then... Looking, we've got to look at what actually, what do the aristocracy still own? Because actually, everybody thinks the aristocracy are kind of like, you know, 
like kind da- of died Downton died off. Abbey, Downton yeah, Abbey, they died yeah, off yeah, yeah. a hundred years ago. Yeah. Now it's just sort of stately homes and cream teas, and they're all a bit <laughs> kind of like you know irrelevant. And in some ways, they are irrelevant. Like the political power of the aristocracy has definitely been, you know, curbed a lot. You know, they no longer dominate the House of Lords in the same way as they once did. But in fact, it turns out that they have managed to quite quietly keep hold of a huge amount of land. So my reckoning is they still own about a third of England. And when you say they, what, what, how many people are we talking about here? A tiny, tiny number of people. So there are uh, about 800 members of the peerage. That's the, that's the, yeah, the poncy term for the aristocracy. How many of them are all? <laughs> <laughs> how much so, of England do you own? Right now, Dave is currently playing the Brideshead Revisited music <laughs> underneath. <laughs> Correct. Uh, yes, I am doing that. Yeah. I, yeah, to my knowledge, I own precisely none of England. <laughs> But I mean, when you put it like that, maybe this is the point of your book, but but what? what? <laughs> I suspect not maybe, I suspect actually. But why, well, <laughs> one of the points. Uh, why aren't people like really cross about this? Yeah. Why I are mean, people not up in arms? Yeah. Demanding our, you know, our land back? Well, because we're a bunch of forelock tugging, surf <laughs> half Norman wimps, aren't we? This well, is I just suppose look at, look at who we keep electing. Right. Like, we love a bit of Aristo Crikey dominance Moses. in our lives, don't we? But There does, I'm afraid, seem to be this, as you say, this sort of kowtowing to, to you know, yeah, anyone with a, a you know, baronetage after their name. But uh, yeah. didn't, like, didn't you encounter people at least kind of having a light bulb moment going, hang on a minute, there's nowhere for anyone under the age of 50 to live that they can, like, own. Yet there are 800 people who own a third of the country. Like, yeah. may, maybe those two things are connected and maybe we should be cross about that. Is that is that not a thing which... Or is, is it literally only you that's going, hang on, we should be cross about this? No, there's definitely... definitely. I mean, there's, there's of course, there's lots of people out there who are starting to cotton onto this and other people who've been looking into this as well. I mean... Um, there's some debate about some of the debates about land sort of go back to the 80s. There's awesome activist called Marion Short who was uh, wrote a book about this back in the 1980s and was also part of the kind of push for getting right to roam over some some parts of our land. But yeah, I do think it is this big scandal that not enough people are up in arms about yet, and I kind of feel it's it's been a bit of an oversight for. Um, people on the left for for far too long. Like, you know, obviously we care about inequality of income and wealth, but inequality of land is just does seem to be to me this sort of glaring, in, you know, injustice um, that is even even more in, unjust because because land is you know is finite. It's like it's it's very obviously a zero sum game here that you know people can argue about well if the economy is growing. Oh, and some people are rich, but we're still going to get some trickle down because we'll grow the economy bigger. Well, it's like, well, you're not, you're not making more land. You know, you, you, your ownership of that large chunk of land is actually taking that land away from other people owning it effectively. So, so yeah, I do think it's this amazing scandal that has been overlooked for, for far too long. And I mean, I think it, it's kind of ironic when you've got people like um, Richard Drax MP, for example. He's the Tory MP for... Oh, give him his full name. I like it. Oh, yes. Richard, uh, how does it go? (laughs) Ernley Earl Plunkett Grosvenor, I think, is his full name. Drax. Drax. Yes. Yes, Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) He has a good one. Yes. But the thing is, he's he's stood up in Parliament and said, this country is full. 
it's full of his land. And he owns... Well, as in, he's making... The, that's an immigration Yeah, he's, he's making this point about immigration. Okay. He's saying this country's full. And he owns something like... Well, I, th- I think I said in the book it's about 7,000 acres. Actually, I looked into this again more recently. It turns out he owns about thirteen or 14,000 acres of Dorset. How much is that? Put that into... I can't do it. It's, it's it's massive. I mean, it means he's one of the he's one he's almost the biggest landowner in Dorset, which is you know his constituency that he represents in Parliament. And by an extraordinary stroke of luck, it is a rotten borough. Really? Is it? Well, lucky, lucky us. <laughs> lucky, lucky luck. Luck, 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 But yeah. Also, <laughs> hang on a minute. Is this going to be? Dave defends no 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 not at all. Uh, strikingly unequal distribution no, no, of I'm, land. Uh, no, I am not going to defend strikingly unequal distribution of land. What I'm going to say is it's not fair to blame the knobs, not just the knobs anyway, right? Because true, fair. This is guy's book. What is full of having a go at footballers and celebrities and Russians and Arab sheikhs sure. and uh, who else? Uh, industrialists. Sure. Uh, and who else? Who else? Basically. It's not all. It's not. Old, it's posh, not. It's not all old people, posh people. Because there's although, a lot of new no. posh people. What are at it and all. Well, I suppose it true. goes back to what you were saying. Like, what are you going to? If you get wealthy, what are you going to buy? An obvious exactly. thing is land, right? Exactly. So, exactly. They're not making any more. It's a really good investment. So, um, it's only going to go up in value over time. So, yeah, invest buy land now, and that and that's what I think has also happened in the last sort of 100 years or so is there's been wave after wave of new money coming into buying property and land in Britain and in England and in particular of course in places like London and you know particularly in the last 20 years we've seen this insane London property market just go you know through the roof um, and part of that it has been driven by sort of these waves of hot money as some people call it coming from around the world to kind of invest in it hot money do you mean money that it's just too hot. Enough, falling off the back of a very large <laughs> Russian juggernaut. Yes, in some cases, yes. So you've got Russian, oligar- Russian oligarchs buying up big mansions up around Highgate and um, bits of um, Mayfair and Kensington and so on. But the thing is, the really, really annoying thing that really gets um, my goat going on this is when people, very, very wealthy people, buy up property as an investment and then just leave it empty. Mm. Why should people who care about like fluffy animals and nice trees and all of that stuff get out of bed caring about people owning land and not telling you about it? What's the link? Well, that's a, it's a very good question, Dave. Thank but there's a much, very man. there's a very big link. So um, it is effectively who owns the environment. Essentially, it's just another way of saying that. And or another way of saying it is if who owns our England is who owns our carbon. So if you look at um, basically where a lot of the um, uh, ecosystems are that lock up carbon, whether that's forests or peatlands, for example, peat bogs, one of my favourite things now. Um, I went to school with him. We've talked about that before. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, we did an episode on your mate peat bogs the other day. <laughs> very good, very good. Um, you dig peat, do you? Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. All right, Dave, you d- will do, do the joke. You Go do the joke. You definitely do the joke. <laughs> yes, okay, all right. Um, 
But if you look at actually who owns this peat, it turns out that, once again, we're back in the realm of power and wealth and about 150 very, very large, wealthy grouse moor estates. And these are places that basically the rich and powerful go and shoot these glorified upland chickens, effectively, for, for sport. Not even both of them. Exactly, yeah. Oh, That's yeah. Like, like him, yeah. Like, like, um, it's, it's the most successful areas for breeding of ground birds because they are protected. Uh, in the last 15 years, there's not been one persecution, uh, prosecution rather for persecuting of a hen harrier in England. And we've always been in favour of tough penalties. So if that were... So I guess that comes back to what you were saying earlier, that you know, when we're all, always banging on about, oh, we just need to plant more trees or we right. need to um, restore peat bogs or we need to change the way we do farming. It's not we... It's not Dave, it's not me, it's not you. It's a very, very small number of people who own the land where that stuff happens. Exactly. Well, and you, well, know, you don't necessarily know who they are. Exactly. And, yeah. and you know, people will often say, oh, if, if, if we just all went and planted one tree, we'd have 60 million trees suddenly. It's like, okay, great, but where are you going to plant it? And that's where it starts to become quite problematic, but also really interesting, I think, because then you start to have to work out who owns the land that's suitable for planting trees on or for rewilding or for, you know, protecting that ecosystem and, and how are they doing it? Because to be honest, in the end, possession, I think, is nine-tenths of the law when it comes to this stuff. You know, we can try and influence landowners, but if you've, if you've got your hands on that, if you've got, got your grubby mix on that land, then you're going to do quite a lot what you want with it, really. Guy, yeah, I put it to you that you are a massive communist. <laughs> I put it to you. I couldn't help but notice that your book's been out uh, in hardback for what, six months, something like that. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, couldn't help but notice that it was really well reviewed by like publications on the left, uh -huh. and not so well reviewed by the Telegraph. <laughs> Indeed. For example. Indeed, yes, this is true. accused you of wanting to steal people's land and get rid of private property I think, and stuff like that. I think you're referring to my favourite review. Which said? Which was which gave me one star. Oh, well done. Well, yeah. that's, not, not, that's not no stars, That's is it? true, actually, yeah. I suppose you should be happy for that, one, that one gold star. Cats the film got no stars. <laughs> so you're better than Cats the film. <laughs> Great. <laughs> high bar to cross. Um, but I was very proud of it because it was a review written by none other than the former Environment Secretary, climate sceptic, hard Brexiteer, all-round nice guy, Owen Patterson. Binhoff. Oh, your old mate, Owen My Patterson. old mate, Owen Patterson, who I crossed swords with as a campaigner some years ago when he was the Environment Secretary in charge of flooding things <laughs> and um, denying that it was anything to do with climate change. And... Uh, that, who knows? Maybe, maybe our previous fights may have had something to do with his feeling not very impressed with my but, book. But, but what also, did it the say? what did it say? What did the review say? Yeah, I think it said basically that I'm a student, student debater, communist type person, basically. So I guess behind that, behind that is a question about like, is what you're basically saying? We've got to take all this land out. We, the people, have got to take all this land out of the hand of them. The people will own it. Are you? Is that what you want to happen? A kind of revolution. The thing is, the thing. All of that. The thing, and this is why I was a little bit disappointed. It was a bit. Of a, it was a 
bit of a shame to have such a kind of uh, vituperative Good word. rejection of, of the book by kind of quite a lot of right-wing commentators because actually I thought it was kind of mild, quite mild in the end because I was, I was trying to say, look, there's this massive inequality, like 1% of the, of the population own half the land of England. Um, but actually I'm probably all right. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it being a little bit more equal than that, but I'm not saying we should actually go and seize it off them with pitchforks. Um, what I'm saying is, firstly, we need... What I'm saying is that we need three revolutions, but none of them involve pitchforks. One revolution is we need to have a revolution in transparency around this. It's it's completely ludicrous that we just don't know who owns this country in this day and age. It, we could definitely reveal the draw the curtain back on that tomorrow. The government could do it. They could drop the search fees on the land registry and open it up. That will be one revolution. And I think that actually, if more people could see the, the scale of the inequality and... Um, and what was being done behind these closed doors. I think there would be more attention paid to it. There would be more scrutiny. And that would be a good thing, right? The second revolution, I think, has to happen around the housing crisis. And that's where you do need to have a lot more equality and a lot more sharing out of land. Um, homeowners own maybe 5% of the country. You know, we're constantly told we live in this property-owning democracy. Um, and also we're told that concrete is spreading everywhere and destroying everything and that we can't possibly build new homes. And there's no room. And there's no room. And the yeah. country's full and all that yeah. sort of nonsense. It's not true. Um, you know, we have to plan where we put housing carefully, but we certainly need to build more of it. We need to do certain sustainable way, yada, yada. But we need to build more affordable housing. But the problem is, is if we just built more homes with the current system of land ownership and how we value land, we just build more unaffordable homes and we wouldn't solve the housing crisis. Um, so there's a revolution that needs to happen around how we basically allow councils to buy land more cheaply again, as they actually used to be able to after the World War, after World War II, up until about the 60s, in, the, in which period we had a huge amount of social housing being built. And, and um, if, we don't, if we don't have that situation, we're just going to carry on building more and more unaffordable homes and people are going to be priced out of housing for forevermore. This time next year... We'll be millionaires. The third revolution, I think, is around um, accountability. And it's around this sense that, oh, there are some good landowners out there who are looking after their patch of earth um, and doing good things with it and trying to bring back a bit of nature. But it's all voluntary so far. And it's all being done by a tiny, tiny few people within this tiny, tiny elite. Um, I would really like landowners to be scrutinise more and held to account for what they claim to be, which is the, the rightful stewards of <laughs> of the land, mm -hmm. right? We hear that a lot, you know, it's, it's, you know. The Countryside Alliance will say, well, the, whoever owns the land currently is, is obviously, the, it's obviously right that they own it and they look after it really well. It's, it's a very convenient argument. And if you, you let the plebs get their hands on it, they'll just turn it into, you know, Primarchs right. or something. Exactly. It'd be awful. Big, yeah, exactly. Terrible, terrible. Despite the fact that the people who do own it currently, the 1%, are not doing that great a job with it. You know, we've managed to lose half of all farmland birds in the country lose. in the last... What? Lose. Sorry. We haven't. Someone else <laughs> who owns that land has managed to exterminate <laughs> and you. poison and kill... <laughs> Thank you. ...and generally wipe out all that wildlife. And I think we should hold them to account for it. We should say it's your responsibility to stop putting it back. And stop giving them subsidies. Well, and this is this is very interesting, and this is this is I think why it's actually I hope now finally going to become a bit more of a debate again because 
we're now we're now brexiting we've brexited in fact and yeah. um one it feels of the good doesn't it uh, <clears throat> i'm i feel so much more in control of, mm. of, of my life um but one of the things we can actually take back control over and we have started to take back control over is this um really shit farm subsidy system that we've had um via the eu over the last you know few decades so um, that, was, that was a system which previously paid you literally according to how much land you had exactly right? so yes. big farm meant big payment exactly and big quids in for all these big aristocrats and landowners that we've just been talking about um for doing very little it's you know no strings attached really but now what we're talking about is a reform to this um system of subsidies where you will actually have to do something you'll actually have to invest in some public goods as it's as the jargon is, is called planting trees beavers or, everywhere exactly reintroducing yeah. wildlife or looking after the nature you've already got so is, it, is this like an example of an actual good thing that only Brexit is kind of brought about. Well, I mean, we could have could have reformed it before, but sure, like no one had managed it exactly. And, yeah, and is because we've always banged on at length about how awful Brexit is. But is this a good thing? Is this yes, a- I think it is a good thing. Um, I mean, the agriculture bill is actually going through Parliament at the moment, and that's the thing that's meant to reform these um, iniquitous farm subsidies. So, fingers crossed. It will get through Parliament and uh, it will be implemented and we will have this radical reform. The one problem, though, is that it has to go through the House of Lords. I was just going to ask you about that. And although the House of Lords (laughs) are no longer quite the same landowning aristocracy as they once were, there are still some very large landowners who sit in the House of Lords and who might not be quite so happy about seeing the end of their freebies. Pitchfork. <laughs> That's all we need. I'm still none, nothing of what you said convinced me that a pitchfork wouldn't considerably advance the debate. Actually, probably feel like I'm disappointing people by being far t- far too mild in what I'm saying. But actually, there's one area that I'm feeling really, really angry about at the moment. And that is about access to land. Right. It's about being able to actually get back to nature and walk in it. Because I, I had it in my head that we could go wherever we wanted. No. Can't though, can we? No, nope. you can't do that in England. You can't right. in Scotland. What's the exactly. right to roam thing all about? Then? So right to roam. It's a lovely idea. Yeah. And we do have a bit of it in England, but as usual in England, we've only it's a very, very partial victory we managed to get. So actually this year is 20 years since right to roam was brought in brought in under New Labour, uh, Countryside and Rights of Way Act back in the year 2000. Um, and it gave, uh, it gave us the right to roam over 8% of England. Oh. Yeah. So... Is that the good bits? It's or? some very nice bits. It's some lovely bits. It's some mountains, some lovely Penge. mountains. Huh? Penge. Penge. <laughs> we give you the right to roam over Penge. <laughs> <laughs> Say thank you. Thank you, Mr. Blair. <laughs> well, yes. Unfortunately, it's, it's Met- metaphorically. Metaphorically, yes. yes. It's 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 some bits of places like the Lake District and mountains and moorlands and places like that. So it, ha- it is some lovely bits of our countryside, but it's only eight percent. Why do we settle for so little back then? And in Scotland, they introduced this in complete right to roam at just about the same time. 
And, you know, everyone said at the time, oh, it's going to be the end of the countryside. Everybody's going to go everywhere and litter everywhere and dogs are going to go wild and it's going to destroy everything. And, you know, famously, of course, farming has been impossible in Scotland since then. Yeah, not, <laughs> not a single crop has been <laughs> no, grown. No, no one grows trees anymore because, you know... Not we, a single we, grouse has been shot in the face. No, exactly. <laughs> None of it happens. Are you the farmer? Shut up, I'll deal with this. I mean, the really crazy thing now is that government in England is trying to actually criminalise trespass. So it's already a civil offence. So the landowner can already sue you if if they really want to for coming and trespassing so on. You can't their go land. to prison for it. But you can't. Well, you can't. You you wouldn't be. You know, the police wouldn't get involved. Um, but if the government get to do what they want to do, even if you stray off the path or or you know decide to have a nice little night wild camping, you'll be branded a criminal. That, I just think is absolutely bonkers. Do you think that is a law they are bringing about specifically to stop you? <laughs> from Writing jumping over book. walls <laughs> Minister this seems like a sledgehammer to crack a nut well <laughs> nothing else has stopped him <laughs> Guy yeah here's a thing that I don't think you're actually being radical about at all okay challenge me well if a Martian came down to earth yeah yeah. Obviously gets through customs, it depends what passport he's got, all that sort of stuff. I think the Martian would go, what do you mean who owns land? What are you talking about? Mm. Make any sense. Like, we all do. Or none of us do. Mm. And plenty of people, plenty of uh, tribal communities around the world would identify with that. And actually, if you stop and think about it for a minute, actually owning land is weird. Yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, does that... Is that right? Because mm. like, basically the whole of this book rests on the idea that like owning England is a thing. Yeah, I mean... I, should it be? I definitely agree with you. The more and more I thought about it, the weirder it seemed that you could own a bit of the earth. Yeah. It's like... And the stuff fine. under it as well. Yeah, the stuff under it yeah. and the bit of the sky above it. Yeah. And, it's, and it is a deeply, deeply weird idea. And it's um, a deeply English idea, unfortunately. We managed to, I think, probably help invent this idea back in the day with people like John Locke and other philosophers like him saying, yes, I think you should be able to own land if you cultivate it a bit and use that as a nice excuse to be able to nick land off of uh, indigenous peoples in America and off of the peasant commoners back home who weren't using the land sufficiently in his eyes. So, yeah, it was basically a justification for um, people being able to nick land off other people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it is. I think it's a deeply weird idea, and yeah. I think philosophically, yes. I think if we could get closer to the to the idea that actually the earth doesn't belong to us, we belong to the earth, yeah. and apply that in the way we treat the land, then I think that would be very good. All of this land is amazing. How come we kind of let it get into the hands of such a small number of people over the centuries? What are they doing with it? Are they doing? good things with it are they it, it kind of is you know it is all of our country surely and and we should have some say i think in in how it is looked after not just for us but for future generations and for every other species that we share this country with so yeah i do think we have to have a say in it might not be ownership but say guy thank you so so much for coming and humouring us reprobates um, neither of whom are clever enough to write a book 
uh, let alone a very good book. Sometimes about... I care enough to read one. <laughs> <laughs> Look! I've hey, been very ch- busy! <laughs> there's still a chance you can read it, Ollie. It's out this month in paperback. Look, it's not... It's not a, I've got the book. The book is in my house. It's not, a, it's, it's not access that I'm struggling with. It's... Um, being disorganised and not a good friend. Who would have thought that people would own stuff and not make the best use of it? Oh, very good. Very good. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you or or follow this particular aspect of your work, what's the best way for them to do it? They can follow me on the Twitter at, at Guy Shrubsoul, uh, and if they want to uh, visit whoownsengland.org, uh, there's a contact form on there, and please follow the blog. Right, that is just about it for another episode of Babble. Thank you so much, Guy, for like doing this extraordinary campaigning and digging and mapping and then writing a beautiful, beautiful book about it, which you should all go and buy and read. Uh, yeah, isn't it cool? Isn't it cool when people do things like that? It really is. I mean, I just I was reading his book and I was thinking, there's a lot of words <laughs> and a lot of facts and yeah. a lot of. Like, and presumably there used to be more words. Like that's how books work, isn't it? You write more words, and then editors and publishers go, "We'll have less of that, we'll have less of that." So I still haven't got many used, words there were. I still have not used as an adult to the idea that when you write something, uh, you don't have to like make up stuff to hit the word limit. You <laughs> yeah. like, and <laughs> that's fifteen hundred words. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> exactly. Uh, anyway, thank you very much, guy. Thank you all for uh, whatever you did. Yep. Um, <laughs> Thank you to the wonderful Dickie Moore for the music that starts, ends, intertwinkles this podcast and to Arthur Stovall for the logo What Adorns Us and our merch, like our T-shirts, only our T-shirts, what you can get on our website at wobbly-wobbly-wobbly.sustainable.fish. I, can... I haven't checked the T-shirt sales recently. No, they're doing all right. Are yeah, they? Yeah, they're still trickling out the door Someone, yet. Um... Beck Beck Cork, yeah. fan of the babble, and my mate. Coincidentally, oh, right. uh, okay, has, has bought a t-shirt, but sent us pictures of her sent wearing a Babel yeah. t-shirt. Yeah. Very nice. If you bought a Babel t-shirt and like it and still wear it, like send us a picture of you doing a silly Babel face in your t-shirt. That'd be lovely to Is see. Is there any other type of face? <laughs> um, you can get in touch with us all. You can tell us what you thought of this episode, our shows in general, stuff you'd like us to cover. Uh, anything. Anything, really. Uh, do that. If you want to know how you do that, how you can work for an environment charity, you can email us and we'll go read this blog. Or you can cut out the middle man and just go to our website. Uh, it's all there. You can email us by sending an email to hello at sustainababble.fish. We have discontinued the Dave's and Knob at sustainababble.fish. No, no, it still applies. Uh, <laughs> it's going to still work. It's Dave, Dave is a knob at sustainababble.fish still applies. Yeah. Oh, very good. Okay, we'll try that one. Yeah. Uh, or you can tweet us at the Babble Wagon or you can just search Facebook for Sustainababble. And you can, uh, if you want to give some love to the Babble and you've got a bit of cash, which basically is the same thing as love, mm. uh, then you can be one of our Patreon supporters. Uh, just for the price of a pint, you can chuck in a bit of cash every month to help the Babble pay its running costs and mean we can keep this silly old show on the road. You can go to wobblywobblywobbly.patreon.com slash sustainababble. Thank you to everyone who does that. It makes a massive difference. If you haven't got any cash, that's cool. You can still have the Babble. This is not one of them like you know, Tory things. You can still have your babble for free, but maybe give us a nice five-star review or, you know, whatever, but five would be nice on your podcast medium of choice. Tell a mate as well. Tell a mate. That's how people get to hear about this show and that's how we like it. Right. 
I'm off to go and plant a flag in a patch of land and say, mine, I've got a flag, bugger off. <laughs> I'm off to squat on your begonias. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs>